0: I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guests today are Drs. Avi Sakatopoulou and Jonathan House. They are co organizers of the upcoming conference, La Planche in the States. It is a virtual conference being held on October 2nd and 3rd. It's called La Planche in the States The Sexual and the Cultural. For more information, you can visit their website, laplancheinthestates.com. You can also email them at States at gmail. Dr. Avi Sakatapulo is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst. Originally from Greece and Cyprus, She's now based in New York City and teaches at the New York University postdoctoral program in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis, as well as at other institutes. Dr. Jonathan House is a medical doctor who teaches at Columbia University and the Institute for Comparative Literature and Society as well as the Center for Psychoanalytic Training and Research. He practices psychiatry and psychoanalysis in New York City. He is the Editor-in-Chief at Unconscious in Translation a publishing company specializing in psychoanalytic books and the main publisher of Jean Laplanche's work in English. Visit their website, uitbooks.com. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Published by Trappart Books, 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, trappart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon patreon.com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a-2-3-c-a-r-l that's patreon.com forward slash vanessa23carl your support is so appreciated it's invaluable and i want to take a moment to thank all of our patreon patrons for helping make rendering unconscious podcasts possible For more information, you can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net. You can sign up for my newsletter there at the contact page to stay apprised of upcoming events and publications. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore at Twitter and Instagram. As always, there is a video of this episode on YouTube. Just look for Tripart Films' YouTube channel. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube. You can also search for Rendering Unconscious Podcast at YouTube.
1: You know, I, I talked about Planche a bunch, and often start out by talking about how I got interested in his work, and then how I we developed this uh, epistolatory romance, uh, and uh, it, it ended up meeting him, and then it, asking me to uh, be on the Conseil Scientifique de Fondation in charge of the English translations. But I I find I have I'm tired of repeating that story, and I, I'd rather um, begin by talking about uh, when I first met Abji. What the, she a little while ago called our our origin story, um, and uh, which sounds very dignified to me. I like that. And uh, so what it was was I was presenting a, a paper on, on Apreku. Uh, more or less the thing that on Afriku that was in Japa and uh, the discussion subject. And what I remember, two things about her discussion. One is that she immediately took it into the realm of uh, social change, uh, which happens to be, you know, be important to me and to the conference that we're talking about. Which, uh, and uh, the other thing that she did, so I can sneak this in and I'll talk about social change. You wanna know about social change on the come to the conference, right? But um, I forget what word it was, but I, I asked her uh, after she gave her commentary, I said, have you by any chance just been reading the Socratic dialogue, the Theaetetus, which is the place that he first says uh, that wonder is the um, origin of philosophy, which Aristotle also says, and which is usually translated wonder. Obviously, we talk about this, I don't know, you know, Greek. Um, but there is an American translator who translates it in the form of a kind of uncomfortable dizziness uh, mm-hmm. as wonder. And uh, so I thought of wonder, curiosity, awe. And uh, I think that this is La Planche and it's where Avgii expands upon it a little bit later after I met her uh, momentarily. It's, um, it's uh, wonder, as an aspect of what drives, what pushes, maybe I should say, or anyway, why humans, I would argue instinctually, and I think, translate, they want to understand what Jonathan Lear calls in this Aristotle book, the desire to understand. I see that all the same, where um, object adds and, without subtracting to that, is her paper on overwhelm. And uh, which I think is actually an important addition to our conceptual apparatus. Does it overlap with Laplacian? Yeah, of course, you know, otherwise it'd be off somewhere else. But it's precisely what is it under traumatic circumstances as well as big and large Traumas. Uh, is traumas even the right word always. That uh, pushes us to try to understand. To translate. In fact if you want another word. Well Paul should be from an enigmatic. Right. It's, what what on earth does that mean. It's confusing. And it op- in the sense of opening up. Not of something that has one answer. Um, and so. Where. I find myself in total agreement with what I've been writing about for a while now is in this area of overwhelm, curiosity, wonder, getting mad. Um, and it's also then where we can most excitingly disagree with each other as long as we got you know the bottom line there. So what I'm excited about the conference is that, but also that really under Abji's leadership, the conference has moved towards the other thing that excited me in that initial encounter, which is seeing the connection in La Planche, uh to the an addition to our ability to understand things in a way that makes changing the world a better place possible, you know, remembering that he comes out of philosophy and then Marx and only then Freud and psychoanalysis. Um, And uh, so uh, I think that's what the conference is going to, at least more than half, open up in these interesting directions. And I should not get any credit for that at all. (laughs) So with, with, with putting, putting you on the spot, obviously there you
2: are. Well, it's, uh, it's very interesting to hear you, uh, to hear how our origin story um, tracks for you, Jonathan, because for me, it starts with an even earlier moment where you read something that I had discussed in Java and invited me to dinner. And I remember we sat down and we had a very long dinner during which we were both getting more and more excited about ideas and talking about La Planche. And I was, of course, also really um, kind of like awestruck that you had contacted me and wanted to have dinner with me. And then we started the conversation. We were just talking about theory. And that was such a delight. Um, And then when you raised the issue about Theotetus and Socrates, um, I had not read that dialogue since I was like maybe an adolescent, where we studied some of these dialogues in school in Greece, where I grew up. And I went back and looked at the text that you had, the dialogue that you were had in mind. And I read it in English and I also read it in Greek, Um, which, so of course our origin story would have something to do with translation baked into it right from the start. And I remember like you and I were having this conversation about the world overwhelm, but also like the choice. I hadn't yet published that. Uh, and you and I were in conversation and you were proposing other ways, other words perhaps. And I was kind of like swirling in that. And the word in Greek about all is the dis- we're describing is skotodhini. And skotodhini is a particular kind of vertigo that has, it's made up, the word is made up of two, it's a synthetic word. It's made up of skotos, which is the darkness. And vini, which is, it can be a whirlpool, it can be a dizziness of sorts. So the 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 notion of darkness and the, the the notion of being pulled into something vertiginous that then can create something new, that it is out of the anxiety and what on some level can look like destructiveness, but which is not necessarily destructiveness. One of the insights that Laplanche has been like very generative for me for as this has been this play between what we might what in some ways of reading Freud and definitely incline reads as pure destructiveness in Laplange, it's also a space of possibility um a space of possibility that passes through difficulty so I remember like when I read that like the emphasis on that that you were bringing now conversations to that was in the awe um, and, and that had a very big impact and we have often thought back to that discussion um, so in some sense when we started talking about doing the conference together like i felt that um, we could bring we could what could syndicate in this conference would be both a very rigorous study of lapanche um, and what he had to contribute on his own terms and also had to put him to work in the way that he put freud to work and how to put him to work not through other metapsychologies, but also through like um, creating a little bit of a, throwing him off orbit to, to go back to the Ptolemaic um, and Copernican models that he so works with by, by refracting him through different discourses, hence our emphasis in this conference on critical race theory, on queer of color critique, um, queer theory, um, and and philosophy and the metapsychology and the the philosophical systems and discourses with which Laplanche is very engaged, but psychoanalysis struggles to engage with um, or is increasingly engaged with if we might say differently. So I am very excited to see what comes out of this, scotovini out of this uh, dizziness that we are in a way purposefully trying to engage in the conference.
1: I I, I love, I I thought that that, he, he's a professor, the guy who translated it as dizziness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: is brighter than I understood. Uh, and the combination of, of darkness and vertigo is, is terrific. Mm-hmm. I wonder, if we put it together, what, what is it that the, uh, Sappho talks about the sweet bitterness or the bitter sweetness of the erotic? Mm-hmm. And there's a you know a wonderful book on that, and uh, I'm gonna have to see if I can think about these two things together. But that's I'm delighted. I didn't know that.
3: I love that as well, and I love that the conference is happening at this moment now because I was actually the previous podcast which I haven't put up yet we were talking about this kind of moment and this kind of sense of vertigo, but I I called it circling the void because I didn't have these words for it, but I love love having this language for it now. But I feel like as a society, we're kind of in this place as well. Um, And I love that the conference is happening now. It was supposed to happen in 2020, right?
1: Yes. Uh, Circling the void, incidentally, is great. You know, (laughs) again, I think uh, you can say these are all uh, translations of something that has its uncertainty enigmatic quality and that it's precisely that it stimulates uh not that we we could do without incipient fascism but if we've got it it stimulates something that uh needs to be aimed in different ways and uh
2: I mean, indeed, you're right that the conference was going to happen in 2020 and then the pandemic hit. And also because so much of the conference is organized around both um, um, speakers who are not just in the States and also inviting interests from across the States. I mean, it's LaPlanche in the States, but really we're hoping that we will have participation and conversation from across the world. Um, um, Because of that reason, we and everything shut down, we postponed it. And to, to protect that possibility, we decided to hold the conference online. Um, and speaking to what you were raising, us about kind of like the crisis of the world, um, I mean, there's been many conversations of the notion, like, do we go back to what we had, or do we use this as an opportunity to create something new? And conversations have been happening about that on all kinds of social levels. But part part of what I think is useful in thinking with Laplanche is his notion of the spiral, that you go both go back and evolve in three dimension, in four-dimensional space, like in the, the quality of temporality of the movement forward also has to be considered here, because without the crisis, nothing, but also the crisis is not in and of itself enough. Um, and if the crisis does not destabilize, as many people have been talking about, like the terrible ills that have come out of the pandemic. And I would add Trump to the ills of our time and his afterlife in our social life. Um, um, And of course that is absolutely true. Things have been horrific, but without, I'm I'm very, when I talk about overwhelm, I'm very serious about the horror of it. This is not just kind of like a, a euphemism. Like it's only out of horror and out of fascism that possibilities can open up where things have become too bound, like through capitalism, through consumerism, through very particular ways of the, the, how the world has been structured, including the world of psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. which even in its progressive movements moves more towards binding than engaging um, the disturbance uh, and engaging the disturbance disturbance of the sexual um, I mean, in some ways I would say um, that to develop an aesthetic relationship with disturbance is what psychoanalysis at its best has to offer us as as patients and as a culture.
1: I'm tempted to jump in here. So you connect um, rightly uh, the stasis uh, with capitalism, which of course uh, has its, you know, this notion of change and progress towards, you know, uh, everything getting more and better and that um, as an ideology in it. Um, If Therifakis is is right Mm -hmm. and we've moved to some important change, from uh, something that looks like capitalism has looked in some ways for a long time, profit-driven uh, as we all agree, whether we're for or against, uh, that now we're back to, um, or forward to, something that he calls uh, uh, technofeudalism. And one of the aspects of that, as I understand it, um, is precisely that it's going to look like feudalism, for instance, in the notion that in feudalism, no one thought there was any possibility of change, you know, you know, you might have a revolution to overthrow the king. But that was not to have the people's republic of, you know, whatever. It was to let's get a good king instead of a bad king, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Robin Hood, not the sheriff of Nottingham or whatever, you know. Um, and I wonder if, as we move into a world, uh, of Amazon, we still have the repressed, the workers hidden away in those storehouses, um, will our turf psychoanalysis, uh, be affected in some way? Or the possibility of change uh, seem less plausible to those who might otherwise come to people like us to, for whatever reasons they currently come? We're, we're despair and depression?
2: Speaking this is of- such an exciting question. Um, you know, this, this narrative of progress, of bettering yourself, self-improvement, Narratives around healing, making yourself better, exercising better, eating better—all all of this um, kind of like neoliberal um, policies or kind of like neoliberal ideologies—they they draw. Just I know that everybody knows this. I'm just going to say to to scaffold my um, my my thinking. They they come. They start out with Adorno says this is. of like the the fallout from the Hegelian dialectic like thesis, antithesis, synthesis, the notion being that every synthesis moves us further along in developing kind of like so that we have this now we end up with this narrative of progress. So part of what Adorno does and I think that we should do on the level of our metapsychology is put pressure on that progressive narrative. Now when when Varoufakis talks about, um, at least the way that I understand the techno feudalism, he talks about the concentration of the power in the few. Like in the example he brings is he says, we no longer are in capitalism. Says if you're um, capitalism, the idea was that markets compete and you end up with kind of like naturally these different systems balancing themselves out. But he says right now, all of these systems belong to the same two or three people. So you don't even have the market of competition. So I'm trying, I've been trying to think because I'm very interested in verified thinking. I've been trying to think what does that look like in psychoanalysis? And I I think that what it looks like is that we have this narrative of progress in our theories that we started with these ideas that were very useful, but crude. But now we have in, 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 inflected them through understandings of the social that actually make us able to think about the social world. But I think that many of these theories even though they look like we have developed in our thinking, have what I would think of as a flaw, which is that they move more and more towards the notion of identity. And that is not compatible with thinking about the enigmatic and the sexual. So I think that we need to, now that we've gone there, I think that we need to move back, delink or de-translate some of that work that we've done to be able to incorporate the social into thinking, about psychoanalysis, and and try to do it differently, such that it allows for disturbance, and it does not line up in the narratives of rights or equivalence or identity or uh, agency uh, that we have about psychoanalysis. Um, so th- this this would be, th- this would be my my take on this. Like in some way, we need a multiplicity of narratives, and part of. You know, if techno-feudalism tells us that all power is concentrated in the few, we need more multiplicity than just these dominant ways of thinking, even within our metapsychology. And that's why I'm hoping that both conversation is generated, but that in some ways in the conference, we're also putting some discourses on a collision course. And I think that's an exciting and good thing.
1: So if I, if I, if sneak in a slightly different angle then. so. There is, after all, institutional psychoanalysis. Uh, In the United States, uh, there's the American Psychoanalytic Association, which has not, for decades and decades, in any way, even forget about crazy discrimination, uh, represented a majority of the people who call themselves psychoanalysts. Um, And... uh, and is a smaller and smaller organization as some of us buy off. Um, And I don't know much, frankly, about the IPA other than what we all read, although I was just elected one of the North American representatives. And what I said in running, thank you very much, what I said in uh, running was I, I thought the key element was to find ways to integrate not only clinicians who are no, not yet part, because they choose not to be or want, or can't be for our rules, uh, but also like our conference, to be able to find ways to integrate people who are not clinicians. You know, think how little of Freud is actually about his clinical work, you know, and, all of that in the innate to help discuss theory. Um, you know, we we want the kinds of people that uh, will be at the conference, and what does that mean? I think of the you know the history of um, exclusion and sectarianism, and yet one also wants some kind of rigor. You know, I don't think that Aaron Beck. Uh, uh, regret saying, I'm not doing psychoanalysis anymore, I'm doing CBT, you know, and he, he was an analyst, and he said, no, this is not necessary, and I'm abandoning it, so without getting into the incredibly boring topic of, you know, defining psychoanalysis, you know, but uh, we still want to be able to distinguish what is and isn't X, call it psychoanalysis, but in a way that allows us to involve the people, the ideas, the domains that going mm-hmm. at the conference and that you were, you were just talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't know if either, either of you,, Lane, I mean th- these podcasts precisely mm-hmm. involve all sorts of people including people you should never invite. They're terrible people. Why do you let them talk? But you know, this is, uh, this is great, right? This is, this is what we've gotta be doing. This is the multiplicity uh, I think that, that we need.
2: You know, um, Jonathan, I'm thinking about what you're saying about like exclusion and who has been historically excluded both in terms of disciplinary formations, like we only talk to analysts, the question of lay analysis, who gets to train as an analyst, but also on the level of kind of like identity and the subject, like people of color, uh, the ways in which we, it's it's not subtle how we discourage queer people and especially trans people from training uh, at IPA institutes or having to contribute. But I would say also this to go back to the question of identity and pluralism and the, the power in the hands of the few that to me, an inclusive psychoanalysis that is inclusive just on the level of identity, I think that's an impoverished way of thinking about inclusion. And you're not saying this. I'm just speaking back to- Don't
1: worry about
2: me. Yeah. No, but I'm saying like, when I was saying earlier that um, we go too much to identity, this is what I meant. I meant that to bring in a trans person to talk just so that we have a trans person on the panel and not then allow the things that they're saying to shake up how we understand psychoanalysis and just have included in a tokenistic way, a person whose identity marks them as other is to refuse the disturbances that this otherness can bring to our way of thinking. So one of the conversations Vanessa, that we were having at the beginning when we were describing, discussing how do we, who do we invite and how do we think about it? We, we played a lot with the notion of like doing, if we invite people who only know Laplacian theory, or not. And where we landed was, we need some people who are familiar with Laplacian theory and who have the rigor in this particular study. But we also need people whose ability to shake things up with trust, even if it's not, this is not their domain. So in some way, we wanted to invite that otherness. Um, And, you know, I'm thinking, Jonathan, when you were saying, like, on the level of the IPA, like, I'm thinking there was a recent conversation on the IJP on trans that was curated to be had between two people who are not trans. Um, like I, I was involved in that conversation, so I know it from the inside. And, but without allowing the the both the effervescence and the the upsetting, the unsettling of our discourses around trans to come into the conversation. So if we're trying to keep things the same, but just are inviting more people to tell us the same thing. That's not an inclusive psychoanalysis that is a superficially inclusive psychoanalysis. Um, so this is this is how uh, this is a long-winded way to get from Hegel to adorno <laughs> to Varoufakis, <laughs> and to psychoanalysis <laughs>
1: I, don't, I don't I don't know if there's one sentence that could do it so this is this is perfect uh, but, uh, Vanessa before we get completely lost our own thing. uh, Give us a hint of something that we should have
3: at. Oh, I love your dialogue, absolutely. Um,
2: Well, why don't you tell us exactly when the conference is so people know? It's in October 2nd and 3rd, and it's two full days. One day starts at um, a quarter to nine and ends at around five. uh, And these are all New York EDT times. and the other day starts at eight, we have a bonus session on translation uh, and it goes up until three or 3.45, I'm not sure, but all the information is on our website, com. Perfect. And
3: Jonathan, we also have to talk about your publishing company.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, The Unconscious in Translation. Um, this uh, Another, well, I'll tell you a personal story. Uh, I uh used to be an internist. I at a certain point I decided the revolution was unlikely to happen. There was no vanguard party that I thought was not rigid and lunatic or both and uh, that would welcome me and say, Well, you live a horrible life, you know, working at this tough working class job but the support of your thousand loving comrades will be enough but your support of your five loving comrades was not convincing enough so I decided to go to medical school I went to medical school because I figured I loved psychoanalysis even then but I thought psychoanalysis you know as I once described it to someone who asked me what what is a psychoanalyst I say it's sort of like being a Rolls-Royce mechanic um, if you're lucky, right? You, know, you earn a living. But uh, I thought being a physician would be relatively unalienated. And, and indeed, that turned out to be true. So I became an internist, and then I had an opportunity to work for the labor movement. I took off one year. It turned into a decade. At the end of that decade, uh, I decided... To hell with being socially relevant. I want to be a psychoanalyst. So I went back and did a, a psychiatry residency, in case I couldn't earn a living as a psychoanalyst. I could sell drugs. Turns out I like psychiatry, but um, and it also turns out I've been very lucky. But as I left the union, my replacement said to me, uh, Johnny. You don't ever get on a ship that hasn't already sunk. Labor movement psychoanalysis. <laughs> so a little while back, I was trying to think. Well, what's the next completely spunk <laughs> proposition? And it's obviously publishing, right? <laughs> anyway, what we what I hope to do before I rest my head on the bosom of Abraham is um, finish getting all of the so far published work of Laplanche translated into English. And uh, along the way, I'm proud of some of the other stuff. In particular, uh, published not only Dominique Carphone's, uh work on, on La Planche, but his, his book, The Unpassed, which is an amazing book. And we're about to publish uh, another book, which will be a collection of uh, articles by Dominique um, with commentary and dialogue between Dominique and Autry. Uh And this should, knock on wood, be out before the conference. But at any rate, it is coming out. And, um, you know, there's some other stuff. We've published uh, something by Pontalis and, if we ever, you know, get the support from somewhere, maybe we can do more Pontalis. Uh, and uh, did a novel, uh, mostly not doing fiction, and uh, have done some other stuff. But the, the goal was from the beginning uh, to get Pont to get Laplanche into translation. And my agreement with uh, with Laplanche, uh, was that probably the best way to do it was in reverse chronological order and more or less. That's what we've done. Um, so what remains are, uh, some of the problematic from before 87 sort of the, the hinge of his work, uh, is, uh, before the general theory of seduction and after going from, uh, leaning on, uh, to seduction, uh, for instance. Uh, and, uh, That's 1987. That's new foundations. Uh, But the stuff that comes before it is invaluable. It's really great stuff, too. So uh, we should get it done eventually.
3: I look forward to these books. I have almost all of the books on unconscious and translation. (laughs) I'm a fan. (laughs) Uh,
1: you've won my heart.
2: (laughs) Jonathan, can you say a little bit about um, uh, about the decision to publish them in reverse, uh, chronological order?
1: Well, it, in part, it may have been a bit of an accident. The, the The first thing that I did for my own reasons was to translate that early article by Le and pontaliste that comes out at the same time as the Vocabulaire, the Language of Psychoanalysis. Um, and uh, it's intimately related with, you know, these guys did it. And uh, I had read it in the English, in the IJP uh, translation, which was very good. And uh, But I, I was confused by it. And I thought, well, maybe it's the translation. My French isn't good enough to just read it in French and absorb it. So I spent a couple of years at night translating it for myself, really. And that's how my relationship with Laplante started. I sent him my efforts. Uh, he sent back a very complimentary note in you know, a long hand on the letterhead of uh, Chateau Bernal, and You know, very romantic. And uh, of course, it's not an insult to translate someone's work. And he, you know, very flattering. And uh, and uh, and then he, I offered to translate or really retranslate. New Foundations, mm-hmm. although Macy's translation is terrific, but he did it immediately, you know, like within a year after it came out or something. What a mind, you know, Macy had. And uh, I thought, you know, it's out of print and, you know, maybe the new translation. Laplanche wrote me and said, you know, but not much point in another translation of a book that's already out of print in English. So a little bit later, uh, when Sexuality came out, uh, in, in in those seven, I think uh, I quickly translated a couple of chapters, just drafted and sent it to him. And he uh, said, "Here's the book." So to get back to your question, if you look at the the, the essays, because it's a it's it's a collection of essays, like, well, um, it it has the quality uh, I think that Edward Said spoke of in his posthumously published lectures, uh, Late Style, where he's talking about Beethoven, music, literature, theory of what happens when people are older and near death. And uh, and unfairly summarized that, you know, it's basically, it gets rougher, less precise, but clear. And if you, uh, you know, take LaPanche's early stuff, I don't know, probably I think one and two, which are, Great, great works, long and that. And pleasure to read, but not easy. And, you know, as compared to the typical essay in sexual, which is, you know, 20 pages, even with large font, big margins, um, it's, uh, it's very clear. Um, and I think that the notion that I had, at least, was to go from sexual to new foundations, but there are a couple of texts that are in the middle there, uh, including what was not initially called "Problematic Six and Seven. Uh, one is on sexuality, Freud's theories of sexuality, republished as uh, The Temptation of Biology, translated by Donald uh, Nicholson Smith, and um, who translated the language of psychoanalysis. And the other is "Apparatus." Um, and uh, translated by yours truly, uh, and uh, and New Foundations. And then the natural thing is, is to go backwards from there. But really it's it's because I think why he favored it uh, was because he did understand the general theory of seduction as his uh, most important contribution and that's 87 and all that follows. Uh, so that's, that's why reverse, the chronological order.
2: No, the, the way that you're fleshing it out, um, brings to my mind, the way that Laplanche talks about theory, theory as experience, which is so important. Like a lot of people read LaPanche and understand him as being very cerebral. But I understand him as being like, if you, if you give yourself over to the text, he's, he, he actually means what he says. And what you're describing makes me think of the importance that he places on the après coup. That in some way, of course, if you're translating his works, Laplanche's works, it would make sense that you would not go progressively chronologically and that there would be some movement on, a uh, temporal movement, even as if, if we treat the, um, new foundations as as the kind of like the intervention point, but and that it can progress uh, linearly in, in either direction. So I I find that actually quite delightful and on that you, level as well. <laughs> you,
1: you could you could take a quote out of New Foundations where he he refers to all the programatics he says, and he, and he says uh, now the time has come for me to show how these. Articulate with each other theoretically. Who mm-hmm. is in effect saying, look, um, this is the synthesis, the culmination, but is utterly connecting it with what comes before. Mm-hmm. And as, as a necessary viewpoint, a spiral development, returning to the same themes in a new way based on the past. Mm-hmm. And that, but anyway, yes, I absolutely.
3: Mm-hmm. Actually, how did you come to psychoanalysis into La Planche in particular?
2: Um into psychoanalysis or La Planche or Oh yeah. <laughs> I came I came to psychoanalysis in a rather uh bizarre way. Um I well, not so bizarre, but it, it proved um in a way prophetic. I um I read a book that my mother had on her bookshelf uh, that was um, Marguerite Duras, the words to say it, or Marie Cardinal is the way to say it, and, which is an account of her analysis. Um, and I I remember like in the first chapter, you meet this um, woman who is suffering from this unexplained hemorrhaging, vaginal hemorrhaging. And she's on her way to an analyst for a first consultation. And she sits down with the analyst and she by that time, she's very incapacitated she's agoraphobic and she sits down and recounts all of this dramatic experience in her life and the analyst says to her you're going to have to be in analysis like this is not something that can be dealt with in a once a week treatment and she says and i'm grossly paraphrasing here some version of um i'm bleeding i'm agoraphobic i could barely barely make it here i have no money what are you even talking about and he says with a conviction that in, in some ways can sound anachronistic, but which at the time felt very inspiring to me and which inspired my relationship with psychoanalysis. He says some version of like, no, this is absolutely necessary. You can hear the exigency here. Um, and she, in fact, walks out and decides to, the bleeding stops instantly. So there's this magical kind of like ideality of the symptom is lifted. And she and the rest of the book is, of course, very boring because it's the recount of the actual treatment. It's not half as exciting as the first chapter. But I remember like reading this book and being extremely thrown that somebody could have so much confidence in what something has to offer that they would say, This is gonna cost you. And 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 you need to consider paying that price, even though there are no guarantees. Something about that to me has to do with what we do in psychoanalysis it's, it's it, it ties to thoughts about consent that i'm something that i'm very preoccupied with um so i i knew then that i wanted to be an analyst even though who knows what it is exactly that that stimulated in me and the book was on my mother's shelf and of course i've given that <laughs> much thought in my in my own treatment um, and then i um i discovered Laplanche through misreading him at first um, and then reading him again and again. And then I have had the good fortune of studying with Dominique Scarfoni, who has been very influential to me, um, and whose book, The Unpassed, that uh, Jonathan just mentioned, I think is one of the most brilliant um, interventions that have been made in psychoanalysis. Um, so I was very lucky to study with him. And then uh, in, a, in a very casual conversation he and I were having at a dinner party, I was talking to him about Marie Cardinal, and he said to me, Oh, that was, she was analyzed by Michel de Muzan. So Michel de Mizon having had kind of like quite like there's a lot of um, affinity between some of the work that he's doing on quantity and affect and the work that Laplanche is doing. So in some sense, when I said that it was prophetic, it, it kind of like comes full circle that that's the book that. Stimulated me, um, produced the scotolini, the awe, the dark awe <laughs> that made me want to be an analyst. And then it so happened that there was some connection between the two, um, and of course that I learned this through uh, Scarfoni, who was also teaching me Laplanch. So there's this convergence, which I, I think is quite interesting, um, which is how I came um, came to Laplanch. And thankfully, when Jonathan read my discussion and invited me to dinner he he read the part that I had not he read my my better reading of La Planche and not my initial misreading of him.
1: <laughs> well as you and I would agree misreading is entirely a necessary moment yes. of all this but just much more on a banal level my interest in. um Psychoanalysis, it really was a Freud comes because on my mother's shelf were the three volumes of Jones's huh. biography, which I never opened. And, it was a kid. and But I asked about psychoanalysis and someone, maybe probably my mother explained to me Freudian slip. But what I remember is I thought, yes, if you, Leave your hat. Forget your hat at somebody's house. It means you want to go back and see them again. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is the best ever. <laughs> and that's that was my t- entire understanding of psychoanalysis. <laughs> and uh, later, you know, I, you know, it's one of those things. I knew I was a Marxist and a Freudian before I ever read anything of either one of them, you know. And, but then turned out it wasn't a bad choice. You know. So, uh, but I still remember was actually my friend Steve Katz whose hat, whose house I left my hat at. I, in my imagination, <laughs> I don't know why I want to go back and see him. Huh? <laughs> so uh, let's see.
3: What are you all working on now besides the conference? Is it taking all of your time?
1: Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm. You Know for a while, I have had a lot of books that are cooking. Um, and I have actually some of my own stuff that I want to write, but uh, there's a, a book that also should come out shortly on uh Beyond and the Planche. Howard the bean came and presented uh, to the conseil scientifique, and uh, we, uh, the book will have his paper plus responses, uh, by uh. People on the Conseil, um, and that is almost done. There's the, the uh, Scarfone Sakadopoulou Stad, book, that's almost done. There is the newly discovered uh, diaries and letters of, of Sabina Spielra uh, to her mother, and it's a German and Russian. Wow also almost done, um, newly translated into Russian and into English. Uh, And uh, I I think they'll be simultaneously published initially, I don't know, six months ago, in Moscow and New York, but neither one has happened yet. But that should happen this year. And uh, so I'm involved in, in sort of the publishing angles of that stuff. And occasionally I get a chance to think about writing and uh, this is not my fault, but I am, I think, the first speaker at the conference and it's being billed my talk as a crash course of aplomb. Now, often when I've tried to do this, like, I called it an amuse-bouche of La Planche, you know, something like this. It's very American, right? That would be a crash course. So I mean, this is, uh, so I, I, clearly I have to spend the summer writing that thing, right? So that's what I'm doing.
3: It is Laplanche in the States. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. And, and without your translations and all the work that your that the unconscious in translation is doing as a as a press, we would not be able to have to have access to this text, or none of the conference would be happening. So, your contribution is on multiple levels. I'm certainly very grateful to you for these translations, and many people are.
1: <laughs> How I respond. <laughs> However, a spark of compliments is this. Wait a second, take a
2: time, <laughs>
1: sit down, give me details, you know. <laughs> Thank you very much.
2: And how about you, Abby? Um, I, um, I just finished a book um, that I had been working on uh, using um, using Laplanche and um, putting some pressure on the notion of trauma um, and then trauma of implantation versus intermission to think about racialization. And to think with discourses around Afro pessimism, um, to put um, and to put them in conversation with a queer of color critique. Uh, so the work uh, is a weird Venn diagram between La uh queer of color critique, and um, philosophy, and specifically the work of Georges Bataille, who I think is, to me, after kind of like having given this some thought, like it's it's incredible to me that we're not thinking more in psychoanalysis with Georges Bataille whose economy, whose psychic economy and political um, um, theorizing is very, very compatible with Laplanche, with enough difference to put some pressure on him, but also with a lot of um, convergence. So um, I'm very excited about what we might do in psychoanalysis about Bataille. So I just finished this book. I'm working uh, on the conference um, and um, I, th- I think these are, I'm doing some work on trans that I've been doing for some time. Griffin Hansbury and I just wrote something together. Uh, and of course I have had tons of fun working with Dominique Scarfon and his book. It's been such a pleasure um, and really exciting like really looking forward to, to how people, what people will think of that book and our conversations. So that's where I've been. I'm looking
3: forward to all of these. And then after the conference is over and you've all like decompressed, and I'd love you to come back and talk about your work more and the books that are
1: coming out.
2: Would be honored. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, please.
3: Is there anything else that you wanted to be sure to mention that we didn't get
2: to? Since
1: we're coming back, I think we'll, let's, we'll leave it in suspense.
2: The, there is one thing that I would mention about the conference for whoever is interested or considering participating. We're putting a lot of thought into the papers and the responses, but we also expect that a lot will happen in the conversations. So there are many people who have a lot to say, very interesting things to say about La Planche through other discourses who are not in the official roster, but who are will be participating from the audience. And we want to really encourage people. We have put a lot of time we have built a lot of time for conversation into the conference and we believe that a lot of new thinking will be generated in the exchange um so i would like people to think that we have organized this with as an invitation not just as a come and listen to what people have to say um
3: yeah so wonderful i'm looking forward to it i feel like in the recent division 39 conference that was in march they they were mindful to do that as well and make sure there was like more conversation happening between the audience and the speakers and of course more people of color and um yeah it was really generative and i felt like it was starting to like turn the field into a different direction that it really needs to go in
2: yeah and lara shihai was extremely instrumental to that and like i've taken a lot of inspiration from that she's okay.
3: the last person i talked to so we were talking about the <laughs> void.
2: <laughs> She's amazing. She's like She's brilliant, and smart and like really solid. <laughs> awesome. Well, we can stop there then. That was really fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Doctors Avi Sakatopoulou and Jonathan House. To register for La Planche in the States and find out more information about their fantastic lineup of speakers, visit laplancheinthestates.com. That's L-A-P-L-A-N-C-H-E i-n-t-h-e s-t-a-t-e-s dot com the conference is virtual and being held on October 2nd and 3rd this fall you can also visit Avis Sakatapulu's website at avisakatapulu that's A V. G I S A K E T O P O U L O U dot com and visit Jonathan House's publication company Unconscious in Translation UIT Books dot com And now she is here. He is Her by Genesis Briar Peorich and Carl Abrahamson. From their album, Loyalty Does Not End With Death, available from Ideal Recordings.
4: She, she is, he. is he. She is he. She is he. He, he is, is her. He is her. Change the world, and end, Change all the all world fear. and end all fear. He is her. She is here. She is, her. she is here. Change the world and end all fear. Put yourself in final gear. He is her. She is here. Turn the wheel. Turn the wheel and this way steer. She is here and he is her. Is here he is her. Identity, does not, Identity exist. does not exist. She is here she is and, her. he is her. she is, and he is her. Hidden in a lost, hidden in a lost world's, world's mist. She is, here. she is here and he is here. And he Embrace the future, Embrace the future kiss. kiss. Kissed, kiss. Turn, the wheel. turn the wheel, and this way steer. End all gender, gender. missed, kissed.